This is the Endangered Species Podcast, the podcast by aspiring men for aspiring men. From Phoenix, Arizona, I'm your host, Sean Vollendorf. We're here to get the godly man off the endangered species list. I love talking with athletes. Once an athlete, always an athlete. And our guest today will always be an athlete. Mike Rodriguez played quarterback for the University of Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. He's a very successful businessman and entrepreneur. He's a native Hawaiian and he's a competitor. Mike loves to compete. He's an investor, speaker, and an author. He's actually a screenplay writer as well. And Mike loves the Lord. I've never met anyone who invites as many people to church as Mike and his wife Tracy do. And he's an incredible interview. You're gonna enjoy Mike. Cheers. Mike, you grew up in Hawaii, man. I I find that fascinating. I'm sure a lot of people do. What was that like? I actually get asked that question quite a bit. Uh, it's tough to answer because it's the only childhood I have. So, yeah. you know, I know it's compared to where other people grew up, but I feel like it was a great place to not just grow up, but live. Um, Got to be honest, as humans, I think we take things for granted. There's a period of time I drove by the beach every day to get to my office and wouldn't even look, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, again, Sad, but but true. Now we get back and uh, I'll pull over and tell our kids, hey, just look at the ocean. They're like, dad, let's go. You know, let's go to, you know, uncle's house or wherever we're going. And I'm like, no, just take it all in how beautiful this is. So uh, love growing up there, but, um, you know, you got to go to work or go to school, whatever you're doing. So um, it's really the same everywhere. It's not like you're on vacation every day. Everybody who goes to Hawaii, they're ninety nine percent of them are going for vacation. They're thinking, "Oh, you're you're doing vacation too." But exactly, you're not. and and I get that. And Hawaii is maybe one of the best places to visit. But people just sort of extrapolate. I was there for you know a week, and it was the best week of my life. If I lived there, be all the time. Well, not really. Then you deal with the traffic, high cost of living. But um, but again, love Hawaii. All our family is still back there. Talk a little bit about your family. What what was your family like? My parents are fantastic. Um, they poured into uh, my siblings and I. I got an older brother and sister. Uh, my sister's in the middle. So we each have a very strong personality, I would say. My brother being the oldest. My sister's the middle child, but she's the only girl. And, you know, I'm bringing up the rear as the youngest, so I had to fight my way. Uh, but... Uh, Love my family. Um, I think, you know, unique family dynamics like every family has, but very supportive, uh, very competitive. My dad definitely fostered that in us. Uh, everything was a race to push the elevator button, um, who could get to the car first after a movie, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, for some reason, that does not surprise me. Uh, I met you probably 16, 17 months ago. And we've spent a lot of time playing golf. Mm -hmm. uh, we've played some pickleball. Uh, I've spent some time at sort of the intramural football fields with you. And uh, I know you love to talk sports. I know you love to compete. You came to my house yesterday. First thing you wanted to do was tear the cover off the ping pong table. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, let's go, man. <laughs> love it. <laughs> I know sports played a huge role in your life growing up and, and through college and, and beyond. So, man, talk a little about that. Look, looking back, Sean, <clears throat> I would say sports really helped shape me into who I am today. It gave me the platform to compete, 
these are going to sound like cliches, but, you know, the camaraderie. When I look back now, you know, even playing at the University of Hawaii, the thing that I reminisce about most is <clears throat> not the crowds, not the roar of the crowd and all those things, which were great and, and those were fun times, but it was being with your teammates, with your brothers, the celebrating victories, the crying in the locker room after horrible defeats. But, you know, those things really shape you. And I think uh, it gave me a way to relate to other young men, gave me a platform to learn how to deal with adversity, to learn that <clears throat> any defeat I had was not fatal. It was maybe the end of a chapter, but not the end of the book. And uh, I really carried that with me. And I know I've reflected on it a lot. Any memorable moments, games, stories? Uh, believe it or not, some of the biggest memories I still carry were in high school. I think I find a lot of people say that because that's when there's the most amount of emotion tied to it because you're still growing yeah. as, a, as a young man and trying to figure yourself out. Um, our rival school, Punahou, <clears throat> nationally, actually, a lot of people I think have heard of Punahou, Barack Obama went there, Manti Teow. So it, it kind of gets a lot of press. That was our chief rival. I went to a school called Iolani. And um, I, I like to say, and people in Hawaii know this, you know, you go to Punahou when you didn't get accepted to Iolani. So, <laughs> you know, it kind of works out pretty well. A handful of people are going to love that. And so uh, beating them, uh, I started as uh, our high school quarterback uh, for three years, my sophomore year. Them being a, a rival, interleague, we played them twice a year. So... Something I, I love to hold on to is my team has never lost to them with me as a starter. We beat them five times and tied once. Let's go. So <laughs> if you're asking me memorable things, that's that's something that, uh, that still means something. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I know you didn't necessarily grow up following Christ. I know you now as a godly man. What happened there? How, how did you first hear? How did you first hear about God? Yeah, so I, I would turn the volume up on that a little bit. It's not that I kind of didn't follow Christ. I was probably as far away from Christ as you could be. Never went to church growing up. So uh, it, it wasn't, God wasn't a part of my life because of me. But when I look back, kind of dovetailing, Sean, and what you just asked me about football, it's just amazing how God is always present. And when I'm not connected to him, it's because of me and not him. Case in point, getting back to high school, uh, our, our school is unreal to think about. We played all of our games in Aloha Stadium. So that'd be like a school here, a high school, playing all their games at Sun Devil Stadium. I mean, that's kind of amazing to think about, right? But that's what it was. And so to be you know, in University of Hawaii's locker room, it was incredible. In my senior year, a buddy of mine, Hugh Dunn, so shout out to Huey, uh, he and I, he was our defensive leader, and as a quarterback, I was our offensive leader. We would, after we got suited up, <clears throat> before we took the field to battle, we walked around into this big shower area, held hands, and said a prayer. And again, I need to reiterate, I was as far from God as you could be. So I wasn't a guy who was thinking about Sundays. I heard this sermon. That's why I'm doing this. 
But I don't even know how that started, but every game we did that. So I look back and I, I just know God has always been calling me to him. And when the chips were down and we're about to go do something that I knew was important and, and somewhat dangerous, the contact, the physicality of it, I just felt a need to, to call out to God. And um, it really wasn't until, uh, so that was sort of an introduction, if you will, where I, I always knew there was a God. I just didn't know who he was and, and what he meant to me until uh, I got into business. And as a very young man, you know, uh, probably 19 or 20 years old, I started really listening back then. They weren't called podcasts, but I would get cassette tapes and, and <laughs> yeah. listen to very successful people. So I couldn't listen to Shawnee V. But uh, there's this one gentleman who I, in the later years, I actually got to know him very well personally and visited with him and just a role model in my life, Bob Safford. Uh, probably till today, the wealthiest man financially I've ever met. And... I'll tell you, Sean, what, what he did for me, listening to all of his business talks. So I so respected him as a business leader. And yet at the end of every talk he gave, he talked about his spiritual life and he talked about Jesus. And the first couple of times I heard him, I just thought, okay, it's kind of what he does and, you know, tune it out. Okay, I kind of got what I needed, what he said about being intentional, doing this, doing that, whatever it was. And after a while, I thought, he's so successful. He makes so much money. He's where I wish I could be. And every chance he has, he talks about this Jesus thing. Hmm, maybe I need to find out a little more about this Jesus thing. And, and really, Sean, that's what really started me on that quest from who is Jesus? And why does he mean so much to this guy who I think has it all figured out? And so it's sort of that transitive property that if, Bob thinks it's so important. Maybe that's important to me too. So that's what really started me on that journey. That's phenomenal. It's so true, isn't it? You, you look at these guys, you, you pretty much think they've got everything. And yet some of them, let's, let's say they don't have a relationship with the Lord. The world looks on them in envy. Mm -hmm. And yet if you could really get the other side of that coin, that guy might say, man, it's, it's not satisfying. I'm, I'm unfulfilled. Yeah. And then here you have a guy who has everything that the world says you need, and he's he's finishing every talk with, hey, it's not enough. I need the Lord. One of his pet sayings, I know he didn't make this up. I, I've heard other people, but it it's where I heard it and where I think thousands of other people heard it. But he would always use this line that that I have since kind of adopted as sort of a mantra, and that's pray as if everything depends on God, then go to work like everything depends on you. <laughs> yeah. And so simple, so obvious, but really most people have that reversed, right? They pray like, ah, whatever, you know, they're not intentional in their prayer. And then when they start working, it's like, God, could you just give me a million dollars? Could you just drop it into my lap? So uh, he really set that thinking in my mind about how to be all in, in prayer, knowing who has the power there, but then taking responsibility, you know, and going to work and saying, okay, I need to be excellent. I need to get the job done. Well, I know, you know, just getting to know you quite a bit that your high school years, even your college years and into your 20 something years were very transformative for you. 
I see you investing in guys so so much, uh, guys that age. What advice do you give young guys as they come out of high school or even as they come out of college? All right, that's we're jumping into the deep end there. That's the million dollar question. Um, l- let me start with this, Sean. I- I'll start with sort of a foundational belief I have, and that's play to your strengths. Um, it's such a cliche for young men, even young women, coming out of high school, coming out of college. And even now as we turn the year, right? What's everyone gonna be doing in a month or so? Writing some New Year's resolutions. And so many people, when they seek advice, they get told, well, Sean, what do you love? What's your passion? You know, follow your dreams. I'm gonna tell you, not only is that not good advice, that's gonna set people back. It's actually detrimental. And here's why. You can be truly passionate about things you're not good at, but you love it. You know, so let, let pause for just a second. Everyone knows American Idol. You know, I watched maybe the first couple of seasons and, and frankly couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> but the thing about American Idol, every person who's getting booted from the show, right, as they're begging and pleading, please don't kick me off, you know, what do they say? You don't know how bad I want it. This is my dream. You don't know how long I've doesn't matter. You're just not good. Right. You know, so it's not a passion issue. It's a talent issue. So that's where people miss it, Sean. They, they, they focus and think, what do I love? That's the wrong question to ask first. I'm not saying it's a bad question. I'm saying it's the wrong leadoff question. Start with this question. What am I good at? What's my strength? If you could sort of put that on the table, these are the things I'm good at. And it's one of those, you have to have some awareness because a lot of times when people are passionate, they think they're good at it. Case in point, American Idol, these people think they can sing well. Well, you need to really look at what you're good at by your own admission and then frankly, ask some people you trust. And if they're honest with you, they'll say, yeah, you know, you're okay. You wanna look for what you're great at. I mean, truly, you are better than almost everyone you know at that. Have those things, and I believe everyone has those things. And don't limit yourself and think, what am I going to make money on? Don't Again, don't go there yet. Just start thinking, is it cooking? Do you cook this dish that everyone's like, oh my gosh, that's the best fried chicken I ever had, whatever. Dancing, singing, a skill, a talent, your welcoming. You're you're the best hostess. Every time people come to your house, they're just like, oh, you throw the best parties. Whatever it is, Sean, you get those talents and skills. You analyze that. Then your second question could be, what am I passionate about? Because when you start with, what am I great at? What are my strengths? That's an area you could monetize, right? You could take it where it could be a career. It could be a major if you're still in school. But now that you have that foundation, you can build on it. So I would really tell these young men that you're asking about, I would tell them to really take inventory of themselves. What are their strengths? And then the second thing I would just throw in there real quick is, um, man, you're just starting on your journey of life. Be intentional, meaning always be driving in a direction and have both hands on the wheel. You can change course at any time. You're not locked in blood in this direction. I'm just not a big fan of pushing the gas and hey, wherever I go, I go. Let's see what happens. Be intentional. You know, move in a direction. If it's not working, 
change gears, to follow your strengths. Um, did a, a, a vlog myself called Quit. So, you know, people <laughs> say, don't ever quit. Are, are you kidding? You should. Certain times, if you're not getting results, you need to quit and go in a different direction. It's just how you define your goal. I don't want to give up on my dream. Don't make your dream. If my dream, Sean, was just about football, which it was, by the way, and, and you know my story, but just to share that, when football ended for me, because in D1, they give you a postseason, uh, pr uh, preseason and postseason physical, the doctor failed me because of my knee. So he literally ended my career. My world imploded. I had no plan B. My dream was playing on Sunday. So when that ended, for six months, I was useless. I mean, I couldn't do anything, didn't want to do anything. But here's what I found out. My strength, yeah, I, I had some talent and some ability in throwing the football. But when I backed up and really looked at it, I loved inspiring other men. I was good in the huddle. I loved strategizing. I was cool under pressure with 300 pounders wanting to rip my head off. I could still think on my feet, uh, could be nimble there. I could motivate other guys. I was driven. I worked hard. That sounds a lot like running a biz business, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like working with salespeople and running a sales organization. <clears throat> so those are the things, Sean, that I did. I could take that strength and apply it in other places. And I remember telling Tracy years ago that, man, this business thing, it's like sports minus the ball. So that's when it became clear to me that I could still follow my strength, but my strength, I had narrowly defined it as football. No, it was more than that. It was these other things. So that's what I would tell these young men to really be intentional in their life and look at what their strengths are. And that's when I said quit earlier. So it's like the guy saying, okay, I'm quitting football, but I'm not quitting my dream. I'm now going to take that strength and apply it on a different playing field. Does that kind of make sense? I love that. If, if I was, if you were speaking to an audience tonight okay, and it was a group of uh, you know, college students, let's say, and they're they're about to go out in the world, and you were to say, "Finish my sentence. Follow your," they would say, "passions, passion or dream." One hundred percent. Yeah, passion or dream. Yeah, because that's what's sold them. It is. You never ever hear every movie. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You, and you know, like follow your passion, you'll never work a day in your life. How many right. times have I heard that in my life? Yeah, hundred percent. And you won't work another day in your life. Now you might never get paid either. <laughs> so that's called a hobby, right? When you're doing something for fun that you love, that have hobbies. But if you're talking about having a career, you need to get paid. You need to be good at it. Uh, and the big problem, and I could go all day on this, uh, Sean, but we hear from super successful people. And they're typically who's in the media, athletes and entertainers. And they're saying, from the time I was four years old, all I've ever done is sing or act. From the time I was four years old and I played Pop Warner football or basketball, it's all I've ever done and look at where I am today. I followed my dream. Well, that's the path we need to take. Let's analyze those people, Sean. Number one, they're 6'6", 280 pounds. <laughs> you know, so let's start with that or they have this voice octave range that they could shatter glass, you know? So they have this God-given talent that they pursued. So it worked out perfectly. They, they to me, um, validate my point about following your strength. They're calling it their passion, but it did marry up together. So again, I just keep saying, start with the question, what am I good at? What are my strengths? Start there, then add passion later. 
That's awesome. I, I'm thinking about a woman in a town where we used to live. She cooked out of her home. We were in a barber shop one time and uh, my wife noticed Southern cooking, Mama Dean. Oh, man. And there were phone numbers, you know, little tear off yep, tabs. Yep, yep. So my wife, Kim, she tore off her number. She called her later and she said, hey, I'd, I'd like to, you know, order some fried chicken and et cetera. And she said, you know, do you deliver? And the woman said, no, just come on over. <laughs> and uh, literally she was selling out of her kitchen and she was not just um, following her passions. Mm-hmm. To your point, she was actually good at it. Wow. She was an unbelievable cook yeah. to the point where she ended up, people demanded she open up a restaurant. She regularly ended up cooking for the college football team in that town. Jeez. It blew up, but it was because she was actually a good cook, not just because she loved cooking. But if you asked her, you know, why are you doing this? She would say, it's because it's what I love to do. There you go. People don't mean it that way, Sean, but they're leading others astray because they just (laughs) keep hearing passion and they miss the fact, like you said, and, uh, you know, you told me off camera this story and and Kim said it was the best cooking she've ever, ever tasted. So there was a talent there. And, and we were joking about that, that she had a talent to cook for hundreds of people at a time, which is so unusual, right? Like my wife, Tracy, is great at cooking for four. Once <laughs> If she's cooking for five, the quality goes down by like 30%. Um, so that woman had a talent, but people are missing it. All they hear is passion. So so I, I would just strongly tell your your listeners and viewers start with their strengths and don't get seduced, don't get hoodwinked by follow your dream and passion. Figure out what you're good at. Start there. The rest will fall into place. That's good stuff, man. You know, I met you and Tracy um, at a neighborhood group, kind of a small group with our church. And I'll never forget, I actually walked outside. We got in a conversation. I kind of just followed you guys to the car that night. Mm-hmm. It was a little awkward at the time. But like, <laughs> yeah. like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> but you were saying something that fascinated me. We, we got to talking about our careers and you said, you know, man, I, I feel like my career has been one drive after another where I take the ball all the way down the field. I get to the one. And I can't punch it in. It's like God turns me around and says, now you're on offense going the other way. Head 99 yards toward the other end zone. Unpack that a little bit, what you were talking about. Sure. Um, so as your uh, listeners are, are saying, yeah, I sort of live my life in sports analogies. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> it's just the way I communicate, the way I think. So, right, you know, it's driving down the field and it's like, okay, th- this is it, man. We're going into the end zone, you know, game over. And and like you said, you know, God, God turns the ball around, turns the chains and says, go down the other way. Um, by a lot of people's standards, you, I, I don't want to sound, you know, falsely humble. I mean, we've had success, you know, by a lot of people's standards. But um, case in point, I know there's so much more. Um in our early, uh, excuse me, uh, late twenties, you know, by the time I was thirty, through a financial services business, we had made and saved uh, quite a bit of money, and uh, didn't live large. Did everything right, saved it, and invested it. Um, handful of years later, two thousand eight, when the stock market crashed, uh, Trace and I lost six hundred thousand dollars in basically a twenty-four to forty-eight hour period. Oh. And by the time the dust settled, it was closer to eight hundred thousand. 
And Sean, that was doing it the right way, making money and then saving it. So we weren't living large. We weren't, you know, buying five homes we couldn't afford. We we're putting it, the majority of that was in Citigroup stock, which was the darling of Wall Street for the last 20 years prior to that. So it was kind of the most conservative, you know, it was the largest company in the world at the time, uh, first trillion dollar company, all those things. And so, so it felt like, okay, I thought I was done financially. I guess not turn the ball around, build up businesses, and things happen where, um, you know, some guys from Arkansas kind of took me for a ride and uh, basically stole what would have been $4 million from me, and that's your hometown. So, Sean, I still want an answer for that, why <laughs> why those people are doing that. Uh, but it just, number one, uh, it tells me that I'm not done. God still, number one, I got lessons to learn. <clears throat> I told that story to... Um, a guy at our church at CCV, and I remember his question to me was, Mike, how how do how do you reconcile your faith? You know, how, how did you feel about God when things that these things happened? You know, I will say, and this is not a, a compliment to me, it's just the way I think. I never had a spiritual crisis during this time. I never was like, God, why did you? How could you? It was devastating. Uh, I mean, emotionally traumatizing, but I always knew God was in control. And so I did have questions. My question typically is, God, you want me to learn a lesson from this? And there are certain of those scenarios, like that last one I just talked about, there's a lesson there. I'm still not sure what the lesson I need to get out of that is, but I'm still thinking about it. And I know God, just like I have two children, I want them to do well, but I've disciplined them a ton in their life to make them better. And sometimes they didn't understand it. Dad, that makes no sense. Why can't I go? All my friends are going. Why can't I have ice cream right now? Because it really tastes good and I want it. And they couldn't understand my thinking, but that's okay. They're not the father. And so I know my father is sometimes disciplining me, but all the time teaching me. And when it doesn't make sense, it's not because the lesson isn't good. It's I just haven't got there yet. So I'm constantly trying to grow and learn in that area. Do you think it's possible that God is protecting you from something that, that if you had kind of hit the, the, the final home run, so to speak, and it's like, I never have to work another day in my life. You think potentially it could have been bad for you. And God's like, yeah, I don't, I don't want that for Mike right now. hundred percent. Um, to that concept, the irony is, I mean, just with my personality, I, I don't ever feel like any amount of money would put me on the bench you know, or the beach, you know, being from Hawaii, where I just kind of check out. Uh, I feel like I'm always going to be driving towards something. But but clearly, Sean, I believe that's the case. Uh, too long of a story for today. But <clears throat> there's a five-year period in my life. I was writing and directing films and writing feature films and culminated to the guy who produced Raiders of the Lost Ark and two of the Star Wars movies, read a script I wrote <clears throat> called Joey. Uh, story of Joseph and his 11 brothers from the Old Testament. I wrote it as if it happened in today's world. So instead of a, fa a family of sheep herders, family construction business, sold out into slavery, sold out by drugs by two of the brothers. So follow the story beats, but in a different way and in today's vernacular. And uh, he signed me to a contract I was going to direct. He's putting together a low budget Hollywood film, $28 million. And um, 
you know, came home, told Tracy, babe, it's over. I'm the next Spielberg. This is going to be fantastic. <laughs> wow. And we're already thinking about casting. And it was just this unbelievable, surreal experience. And then I talked about the stock market crash in 2008. This was two weeks before that crash. So everything kind of shut down for a while. Then we're going to get backing up. We're starting to go out again, talk to some studios. And the writer strike hit. I was a writer director, things shut down again. And so it was so discouraging at the time. But when I look back now, Sean, I clearly believe God protected me in a sense. Um, I, I believe, you know, in, in a in a different sort of lifetime, if you will, if that movie got made, I believe it would have been a huge hit. I already had another script that would have been a follow-up, and, and I believe that would have blown up even bigger. And I would have been going from one uh, movie uh, set to another. Uh, I probably wouldn't have seen my kids for months at a time versus coaching them and being with them through their formative years. You hear about these disastrous Hollywood marriages and just all those things. So I mourn for the loss of the project not coming to fruition. But like I said before about quitting when something's not right, going in a different direction. So my dream didn't end just that chapter. And something, I'm not going to take it out right now, but right in my wallet, I, I carry a money clip. <clears throat> and in the middle of the money clip, and I know you've seen it, I have it laminated what my life's mission or purpose is. And I've really spent a lot of time thinking about this and pushing all the air out of it to get it as concise as I can. And and if any of your viewers or listeners, you know, adapt this for their own, I'd be honored. Uh, but my life's mission statement and purpose, Sean, is to develop the talents that God has given me to bless my family and others for his glory. So to break that down very quickly, as I looked at it, there were strengths God gave me, like public speaking and certain things that for periods I, I didn't use at all. And I thought, that's a mistake. I'm not honoring God when he's given me that. I need to develop that. So I need to develop the talents he's given me. For what end? First, I need to take care of my family. So I make no apologies for that. You know, I think money is very important and I want to provide for my family. But if I said provide for my family, period, that's my life's mission. Again, a little short-sighted. You know, did God really put you here to take care of those three other people? And that's it? That's really what your whole life is all about? No and others. So you want to help the greater good. You want to help other people, other causes that you believe in. But at the end of the day, it's all about him. So for his glory that I, I've i always wanted to, and I've really, my kids have heard this their entire life, be excellent at something because then you get attention. And when you get attention, Sean, you earn influence. So once I can get the spotlight on me, you know what I can do? I can turn that spotlight onto Jesus. And now people want to listen because even if they're unbelievers, they're like, hey, this dude has something. He can do something. Now that I have that, I can make them look over here. Now is between them and God. My, my job is done. So I want influence so I can make Jesus famous. I see you doing that, man. And this gives me some insight into what I want to talk about a little bit, but I'd rather hear it from you. Mm -hmm. When I see you at church, I see other people with you people you've invited. Mm -hmm. When I see you around town, I see you taking uh, younger guys to lunch. I see you influencing guys. You got a pickleball group. You got a golfing group. Mm -hmm. you, you've got a poker group. Right. You're always building relationships. 
even even just this last week, you included my oldest son in a scramble, and uh, you know, he, I'm thinking he's going to be home around six o'clock. We're like, hey, where's Fisher? You know, and next thing I find out the next day that. Um, you had taken him to dinner and mm-hmm. asked him some pretty meaningful questions and tried to cast some vision into his life, answered some of his questions that he had. What, what is that, man? What, what drives you to invest in people the way you do? Cause I, frankly, I haven't seen very many, even believers view their schedule like that. Yeah. Thanks for asking that question. It's that is a passion of mine. So, you know, when I talk about strengths and passion, so this is something I love, I think, before I even go spiritual on it, Sean, just as a human being, I think as human beings, I don't want to say we're obligated, maybe that's too strong of a word, but why wouldn't you want to share something that meant something to you? You know, it's the old, I saw a great movie. You should tell other people, hey, on Netflix, go check out, you know, hey, this restaurant had the best blank I've ever had. That should be a human kind of reaction to good experiences, right? That's really good. I, just to inject something real quick. Yeah. I, I know even in Silicon Valley several years ago, a lot of companies started delineating the position chief evangelist. You know, mm-hmm. it was the person who was going to go out and spread the word on a certain product. And and I do think now that you say that, you know, you're always trying to get me to do something. Yeah. <laughs> you ought to try this. You ought to watch this movie. You ought, mm-hmm. to, you ought to check out this restaurant. Yeah. I think it's part of who you are. You're You're an evangelist of sorts. For the Lord, but then also otherwise. And and I, I just agree with that. I wanted to say that. Amen. I, I'm a fan of excellence. So anything that's excellent, whether it's an experience, a product, uh, I enjoy it. And I want to tell other people. Uh, quick segue, the the first guy who kind of made that word evangelist uh, popular, famous outside of the spiritual world is Guy Kawasaki uh, from uh, Apple way back when, who's an alumnus of Iolani. So need to throw that out there. Um <laughs> So uh, I would see these things and just want to tell people. Then when I came to Christ at 25, so that's when I gave my life and understood the relationship that I can have with Jesus and the fact that he paid for my sins and what grace really means. What would that say about me, Sean, if I'm talking to everyone about this movie, about this restaurant, about this thing that you should check out, but I'm keeping my spirituality to myself? You know, um, that would be horrible and and frankly, very selfish. So I, I got to tell you, it's not something that um, it's a muscle that I've used so much, I guess, through my life that it is very reflexive at this point. And frankly, I just enjoy it. You know, like you said, every time we get together, I'm like, hey, let's go play pickleball. Hey, let's you, you and Kim need to go see this movie. And hey, I had this, you know, this restaurant. And like you said, I'm always doing that. And to, so to on that menu to talk about my faith is not a, a dessert, it's not a, a side salad, it's the most popular entree on my menu. So it's uh, it's just something I believe in and it's something that over years I've done that um, that is sort of reflexive at this point. Yeah, I've, I've seen it in action. I, I like that word reflexive, it does seem automatic. Mm-hmm. It probably comes less easily for some, but obviously it's sort of, it's required for all believers that, that we should not just do that, but want to do that. So. Right. And in no way putting, putting a guilt trip on anyone, but anyone, Sean, who's listening to this, who knows Jesus, here's one thing I know for a fact, someone played a major role 
in that relationship outside of you and Jesus. It wasn't this just, you know, A, B relationship. There was a point C person who helped bring that together to probably a major degree. So if you're not going to play that C role for any other relationship, again, a little selfish. Your salvation is because someone invested time, energy, and effort, and maybe, probably, had an uncomfortable conversation with you along the way. So why wouldn't you risk that? And knowing what the end result is, um, like in any conversation, there's rejection. And I, I just... If I could throw this other thing out, you said about what would I say to uh, you know high school and college, either students or graduates, man, get comfortable with rejection. It's not fatal. There's no bullet holes. You don't walk away, you know, being scarred for life. If um, you know, you talked about these things that I have started. You know, I have these groups for these gatherings. So, how cool is this? I get to play pickleball whenever I want. Because I'll contact like 20 guys and get, you know, five to 10 of them to play. If I want to go golfing, I golf whenever I want because I contact 10 to 15 guys and four of them are willing to go Wednesday at 9 a.m. Uh, and all of these things. So if you're willing to, but but whenever I get that, when I get four guys to show up for golf, I typically have contacted 10 because, and usually everyone wants to, but they just can't because of their schedule. So it's shocking to me Sean, at how many grown men are so afraid to hear no. And the amount of guys that are so thankful that I invited them and they're just, you can almost hear it in their voice that they wish that they could start something like that, that they would invite, but they just don't want people to reject them. So if you're willing to hear no and not know that it's rejection of you, but of the offer, life opens up. It really does. You can do more things. You know, my kids get sick of uh, hearing that because I've told them their whole life, ask for what you want. And I told them, what father tells kids, ask me for what you want. If you want money, you want to go out, whatever you want, ask. Now I'm going to say no when I think the answer should be no. But if you don't ask, the answer is automatically no. Yeah, either you don't ask or you kind of hint around and hope and or, or you know kind of half beg. It's it's not a good look and it doesn't get the result you're looking for. Mm -hmm. If you can be respectfully direct, again, life gets simpler. Man, no mind games. People don't have to wonder how I think or feel about anything cuz if they just ask me, I'll tell them. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to candy coat it or or pretend to su support something that I don't believe in. Uh, but it just makes life easy. You know, it's life is tough enough with all the other challenges. You don't need to add to the complexity. Well, one of the scriptures I think about when I watch you live your life is Matthew 419. You know, Jesus looked at the disciples and said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. To your point about rejection, I met a guy in church three weeks ago. Hey, how'd you get here? I asked him. He goes, oh yeah, Mike invited me. Oh, really? He goes, in fact... Mike invited me seven times <laughs> starting a year ago. Yeah. And this is my first Sunday that I'm here. Right. And I, you know what I said? Note to self, mm. note to self, dude. Like most people say no to most things on the first invitation. And here's yeah. a guy, you think you're annoying him. Mm. It's like, no, you're just kind of chipping away. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. and he was happy to be there and he's come back since. Exactly. You know, Mike, a question I love to ask our guests and would love to get your thoughts on is, is real simple. To you, what is a godly man? 
it's perfect timing actually for this question. Uh, about two weeks ago, I, I wrote something in reaction to a quote that I read. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners have either heard or read this quote. Uh, and the quote, and I'm pretty sure it goes something like this. Um, the definition of hell on earth is the last day of your life meeting the man or woman, meeting the person that you could have been. Sean, I read that and I literally cried, literally. Mm. Because you mentioned earlier how your son Fish, you know, I had him play with us in this uh, golf tournament and um, he's a D1 golfer for people that don't know, you know, fantastic young man and, and phenomenal golfer. The amount of times he hit a ball and I said, wow, great shot. And his response, usually under his breath, no, it wasn't. Because we were both right and we we're both honest. In my mind, that's a 320-yard drive. That's fantastic. In his mind, yeah, it's 320, but it was crooked. It should have been straight. He knows what he could do. That's how I felt when I read that quote, you know, that I've done some things in my life that I'm proud of. But it's not a midlife crisis, but probably two or three steps away from it. That uh, I just realized, man, I got, I'm on my back nine. I've got more life behind me than in front of me. And though I've done some things, man, there's so much more I could have done, I should have done, that I still want to do. So that quote hit me hard, really hard, that God has blessed me. He's given me these things, given me these opportunities, given me this mind to think, given me this mouth to communicate. And have I really used it to its fullest? The answer, honestly, is no. And so what am I going to do about it? So I, I wrote this sheet, Definiteness of Purpose. I have um, my life's kind of mantra, uh, scripture, uh, Romans 12, 12, um, be joyful in hope. Uh, patient in infliction and faithful in prayer. So I have that. And then um, I, I have this line and I have a whole bunch of other things about, you know, living intentionally, live in abundance, don't live in fear, you know, all that kind of stuff. But this one line I have right up there, Sean, is I am the man that God intended me to be. Now I'm not, but I wrote that in the present affirmative. So every morning, every night when I read that, I am the man that God intended me to be, it just sort of sets me up for that day. And then at night sets my subconscious mind. And so I can have that next day thinking, who is that? What do I need to do? What do I look like to be that man that God intended me to be? You know, when I read in the Bible how um, in the Bible, it says that David was a man after God's own heart. I yearn to be that type of man. Again, I am not there yet. That's where I aspire to be. And so every day I try to get a little closer. So long answer to your question, you know, what is a godly man? God, I think, has a different intention for most individuals. Like we all have different strengths. I think that comes through self-reflection. It comes through using your strengths, not just financially, though it should be used financially, but it should be used spiritually. How are you affecting other people? How are you not just sharing your faith, but putting your faith into practice? Again, different things for different people. 
Um, I think though, if you think about that constantly, you ask yourself that constantly, number one, your brain's gonna figure out answers. But number two, the last thing I have on that sheet is that I am open at every minute of every day for Holy Spirit to use me to move the kingdom forward. I think when you constantly ask that question or you say that, I am the man that God intended me to be, Holy Spirit's gonna start whispering to you. He's gonna start nudging you and you're gonna think, really, wait, should I call that guy? Should I do that? Should I donate? Should I volunteer? Holy Spirit's gonna start nudging you in direction. So that's what I'd recommend. Um, it's too big of a question to say one thing. So I'm just trying to equip your listeners to to get in a position to start becoming that man that God intended them to be. Man, I love that. Well, we, we call our listeners of the endangered species, we call them members of the herd. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. How can members of the herd hear your content? Yeah, so, you know, that foundational belief that I talked about, you know, follow your strengths. So uh, fairly recently, I did start a vlog and I would encourage them to go, if they like that concept and want to learn more about that and how they can apply it to to their lives, you know, particularly directionally, if they're going aspirationally going after a career or a chosen path, um, I post videos on uh, Facebook and YouTube. So they can just go to Strength Over Passion and uh, both on YouTube and uh, Facebook, and they can find a, a bunch of episodes and vignettes that they could watch or listen to. I love it, man. Well, Mike, thanks so much for your time. You are on the endangered species list, and that's why we had you in. Thanks for making time to be here. Loved it, man. Appreciate you, Sean. Thank you for everything you're doing. Man, I love to see a guy like Mike. You know, a lot of guys have life experiences they've learned from. What not many guys do is go on the lookout for younger men to mentor and pour into and share their wisdom. And Mike does that. I love that. Just a quick review from our conversation. I especially love the idea of growing in self-awareness to find out what your individual genius is. I like taking inventory of your strengths and being intentional to develop your strengths. Start with what I'm, what am I good at, not what am I passionate about? That's so good. And then cultivate your talents instead of chasing your passions. Capitalize on your strengths versus following your dreams. If those two line up, then by all means, follow your dreams, man. But often they don't. Mike has a fantastic vlog that I hope you'll tap into. It's called Strength Over Passion. You can find it on facebook.com forward slash strength over passion. Remember, if you like the pod, please rate, comment, share with other dudes. When you share this pod, you'll have an impact on their lives. As always, cosmic-sized thanks to legendary producer Logan Bonjean. Gentlemen, becoming and staying a godly man is a matter of choice, not chance. Go out today and make the choice to take steps toward godly manhood. Let's do it together. Let's get the godly man off the endangered species list. See you next Friday. <laughs>